It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. We've got the whole crew together as we cover Ohio State with our instant analysis from Ohio State. There's something that doesn't feel right. Unbelievable effort from him today. Is EJ Liddell going to crack the first team all Big Ten? I think he can be the guy. I'm not trying to start a quarterback controversy. He seems to have the durability. He certainly has the toughness. This is the question on a lot of people's minds here. Welcome to Buckeye Breakdown. Hey everyone, welcome back to Building the Buckeyes. I'm your host, Andrew Lynn, and I'm joined this week by SIL American Director of Recruiting, John Garcia. What's up, John? What's going on, Andrew? Good to be on with you. Happy uh, belated New Year. Yeah, you too. So obviously there's a lot to talk about in this week's episode as Ohio State landed several commitments since the beginning of the new year. That includes Texas defensive end Omari Abor, Wisconsin offensive lineman Carson Hinsman, and German defensive tackle Hiro Kanu in the class of 2022, as well as Florida safety Cedric Hawkins in the class of 2023. So with that, I'll just jump right in, and I'll ask you your thoughts on the kind of player that you think Ohio State is getting in Abor. Well, Abor is is the modern-day edge prospect. You know, he's, you know, he's not the twitchiest, most athletic prospect, but he's like, he's like one of those quarterbacks that you're like, man, the armed talent isn't crazy, but everything else is really good. And, and I think we get kind of lost in that elite trait but if you're consistent elsewhere across the board there's still a lot to be said for that uh and that's where abor is for us he's look he's an si 99 recruit like i'm not trying to sell him short six five you know two 250 or so at this point um just really strong off the edge and he's a complete prospect off the edge and i think that's the most important part of of the evaluation here uh um, we, we, we again we get infatuated with pass rushers but a lot of these kids are, are thinner less experienced and and they they can scream off the edge with speed but they don't have a lot to counter that abor is not one of those guys he can absolutely set the edge against the run he can rush the passer with technique and actual moves where he's building combinations off of the offensive linemen and working on them throughout the game you know he's got plan a's and plan b's when he goes against uh, an elite blocker. And that's really important along the defensive front. Uh, he's got good length. He can come off of, of blocks and, and track well. Uh, he's got good speed. He gets to whatever his top speed is, he gets there pretty quickly. So he can be a contained defender. You could probably drop him into some underneath zones if you have to at this stage. Not sure if his body will allow that going forward if he, if he does put on considerable weight. But today... He's a guy who can play all three downs. He's a reliable, responsibility-based defensive end who I think is a good counter to that, that more lengthy, twitchy edge guy, that speed rusher. You wanted a guy like Abor to counter that because he's got the, sort of the total package on the other side. He's, he's the safer bet. You know, he's the higher floor type of recruit. And I think, you know, this, this is a ceiling business. But, you know, at SI, we really value high floors. Like our number one quarterback is Kate Klubnik, you know, the efficient, accurate, sort of conservative passer, as opposed to the big arm kid who's a little bit more risky with the football. So we, we value the floor 
a lot at SI, I would say more than others. And Abor is, is one of those strong, safe floor players who really could get the job done on, on all three downs. I mean, watching him against modern day, there was a run play where he he was wrong. He he was was he playing inside shoulder on the on the left tackle, and uh, his first step was there. The tackle read it, and obviously modern day's got great linemen. The tackle read it, so he had to counter. So it was either try to bully him, uh, try to bound, or try to go the other way. And he did a rip and spin all in one motion, and he was still able to maintain contain which was his run responsibility for that play so there's just little things with a boy that that you really fall in love with and the consistency on top of that again makes him just such a high floor player and and um a guy who can rush the passer with a plan which is which is you know relatively rare uh, in the recruiting game for for high school seniors it reminds me a lot of jt tui maloa last year he's not maybe as polished but he definitely has those same kind of traits just the body, the, the, the speed, like those kind of things. Was that something you maybe agree with? Yeah, I think, I think he's got a, a similar positional projection because he's an edge guy today. Um, but, you know, that could mold into a seven technique, a five technique. He can stand up. He can put his hand in the dirt. It's, it's really going to depend on how his body matures at the collegiate level. And look, coming from Duncanville, in Texas, that's that's one of the best programs in the country, much less the state of Texas. So he's he is a more a physically developed, um, closer to a finished product than maybe a kid in the middle of nowhere or you know the inner city. So I, I do think that what we see now is similar to what we will get, but there is room with that frame to add a little bit more mass. Um, at the next level. And I think that can affect his position projection. And, and just like JT, I mean, we could see, I think JT's got a little bit more of a frame where he could probably play three technique if he has to down the line. I don't think Abor will ever come down the line that much, but if you need, you know, four, five, five, seven, nine technique, potential dropper, uh, he can do those things just like JT can. So I, I do think that um, Abor's polish is, is similar there. Um, and, and the position projection as well. You made a really good point about just the level of talent that he plays against as well, because, you know, Duncanville plays it at the highest level in the state of Texas, and you're not going to find, you know, better football than, than that division. On the other hand, you know, Ohio State recently landed a commitment from Wisconsin offensive lineman Carson Hinsman, who plays at a school that, you know, he would admit they don't throw the ball a lot. I know down when he was at the All-American Bowl in San Antonio, he saw Devin Brown, the Ohio State commit from Utah, throw a really long pass. And he's like, pretty much was just like, wow, I've never seen something <laughs> because all we do is, you know, run the ball. To me, he's the type of player that if he would have went to Wisconsin, he would have been an all Big Ten player, a first round pick probably. And, you know, you, you expect the same thing kind of to happen at Ohio State. But I think the most important thing is that Ohio State went into Wisconsin and took a kid who was a longtime Wisconsin lead away from the Badgers. So what do you think that says really about what level Ohio State is recruiting at right now? Well, look, I mean, there, it's, it's no secret. You know, Ohio State is outside of the, the southern footprint. Ohio State is the standard in, in recruiting, and, and they'll go win battles, obviously, with, with the elites in the southern footprint as well. Um, when we talk about the elite recruiting programs, you know, it's, it's Bama, it's Georgia, it's Ohio State. I mean, that's where, like, that's where all of that begins. Um, and then you filter down from there. So there's a reason the Buckeyes are there. They're still there. 
um, you know, battling Texas for that number four class in the country right now on SI. Um, but, but look, this is a typical Ohio State class. It's a national footprint, right? Like double digit states represented. Uh, and, and Ohio State has always gone into enemy territory and plucked talent, whether we talk California, South Florida, Texas, we just mentioned with Abor, or even in the Midwest going against, you know, Wisconsin, Notre Dame, Michigan, et cetera. Um, and, and Carson's a great example of that. And, and he's so interesting, right? You know, two sport athlete, um, pretty nimble for, for a basketball player of, of his stature. But like you said, just so comfortable and run blocking because they're, they're old school triple option. Like they don't even pretend uh, to, to pass set. So obviously evaluation wise, you know, that you're very curious to see how he develops as, as a pass protector, uh, especially relative to the competition. So, you know, this month he's seen the best competition of his life and then he'll end up at Ohio state and, and see more of it. So um, that's a bit of a developmental play from a pass rusher or a pass protection standpoint, but man, that is a ferocious run blocker, excellent at the point of contact and when you talk triple option offensive lineman, you already know, very comfortable on the move. I didn't even have to throw the basketball in there to, to emphasize that. I mean, he's he's the kickout guy. He's the pull guy. He's the chip and go guy to the second level. Um, you know, Hensman can absolutely hit a moving target that's, that's not just a 300-pound lineman. You know, he can go wall off a linebacker, reach block. I mean, the, the, a lot of the stuff you really need on the interior in this day and age of, of spread football. So big get, uh, you know, athletically uh but of course geographically monster get going up into wisconsin because like you said that's really if there's one position for wisconsin that you're like nobody's going to come in here and grab somebody it's probably along the offensive line uh, because that's just what the badgers do so uh, another point of emphasis there for ohio state and again flexing that that regional muscle just as much as we always talk about them flexing the national. You obviously mentioned his ability to get to the next levels of, of potentially a pulling guard or just his overall athleticism. And I think that Ohio state struggled a lot this year with just trying to play four offensive tackles along the, along the line. And obviously that, that cost offensive line coach, Greg Sudraw with his job, yep. bring in Justin Fry. You know, he's obviously had a, a really good um, performance at UCLA in terms of just, you know, bringing in a bringing in a new rushing attack. I know the Bruins improved over 40 yards when he arrived and then just continued to excel once he was there. But I think one of the big concerns, too, is that people are you know wondering what kind of recruiting impact that Justin Fry would have. Could you speak to that at all? Yeah, you know, obviously the returns are incredibly early there at Ohio State. But I think what what makes it interesting with Fry not only positionally, right? Obviously, success that you know UCLA was downhill, uh, and, and he's got you know a ton of experience with that that Chip Kelly run first spread you know, power spread offense. Um, but with the coordinator tag, I think that makes it so much more interesting. It broadens his horizon, and and it it enables you to target a different type of recruit because you're not just known as kind of the the O-line coach forever, right? It's not one of these these 25-year offensive line coaches who just, you know, was excellent and excelled in that role. Um, he, he's got a broader experience. So that means he's recruited non-offensive linemen as well. So I think it, it gives you a higher, gives you a higher ceiling and a wider net to cast because look, uh, it's a different time in recruiting, right? Um, NIL, 
transfer portal. I mean, you, you, the more you have in your arsenal as a recruiter, the better. Um, so you throw in the, the West coast experience as well. Again, going back to that, that national Buckeye footprint. Uh, and I think that helps a lot too, uh, because even offensive linemen are more aware of their potential monetary value. Um, so when you're able to, to pitch that and you're able to uh, condense that in a pitch, I think it's, it's as important as it's ever been because everybody wants a piece of this pie. And, um, you know, coming from LA again, you know, it just, it brings a different perspective uh, when, when you go into to a recruit's living room. So I do think um, his, his longtime experience um, on the West Coast will help. Um, and, and again, his, his experience beyond just being an offensive line coach is really valuable this day and age because, um, you know, he's, he's probably going to be involved in some, some regions um, to, to help out with other positions too. So that's important. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. For sure, and I want to stick out in, in the general Los Angeles area and talk about Canoe, who has a really interesting story as somebody who grew up in Germany and played soccer then moved to the United States his junior year of high school and became just really one of the most sought after defensive tackles in the country. So what do you think that he's going to bring to the table for the Buckeyes, perhaps maybe both on and off the field? Well, yeah, I mean, off the field, this is, you know, like you said, a great story, an international recruit who, who comes to California um, in 2020 um, and, and deals with all the delays with COVID and all that. Um, but but still finds a way to flash on tape during that spring season, starts blowing up on the trail and then emphasizes it as a senior. Uh, just an interesting positional guy, uh, a leverage monster on the interior, but he's more of a, a quicker to the point interior guy. We, we, we put those guys in a box sometimes, right? We, we say, oh, this is a, a defensive tackle. So you think conventionally, okay, this is a run stuffer, a blocker, occupier, a guy who's going to fill a gap and allow those Ohio State backers to come downhill. Well, well, not necessarily the case with Canoe. I mean, he is a pass rusher. Um, you know, he's, he's like a smaller guy in a, in a big German body. <laughs> you know, he's six, what, six, four, six, five, um, you know, 285 or so. I hadn't got the, the weight on him from San Antonio, but he moves incredibly fast. And I think, again, we talk about the modern game. You have to be able to condense the pocket from the interior as well. Again, we all like, oh, we all are football fans and we're like, oh, they need to put pressure on the quarterback, right? So what do we expect? We expect the edge guys to do it. And we expect maybe some blitzers to be able to do that. Like, no, you need to push the pocket with power. And again, he's a leverage guy. So he's got plenty of that. And he's, he's about to have a whole lot more when he hits that big 10 weight room. Um, but he, you also have to do it with polish on the inside. And he uses his hands so, so well, heavy handed kid who's just hard to stay in front of because he's quick on top of it. So I think he's got some, some potential to really pressure from the interior, which is the most valuable uh, on the defensive front, because that's obviously the shortest point between A and B, right? A straight line. So if you're over, if you're a three I um, uh, over a guard and you're able to beat him one-on-one -on -one and get in, inside on him, I mean, quarterback's got minimal opportunity to, to move 
Um, so I, I think that is is where Canoe really becomes an elite recruit, a blue chip type recruit. Um, and, and then as he gets bigger, um, I think he'll become even better at his strengths, whether it's the point of contact, the leverage uh, or the quickness that we talked about. Well, I think the really cool part about it is that he he has the size. He has everything you need from a physical standpoint. But then the fact that he didn't play football until two years ago and is still learning the game tells me that he's somebody who's going to be able to be molded into the player that Ohio State wants him to be. And, you know, there's really no better person to learn from than Larry Johnson in that standpoint. So, you know, I think that his ceiling is very high and there's just a lot of untapped potential that we don't maybe necessarily see on tape because he's still so new to the game. Right. And and the counter to that is, you know, when you're so new to the game, you don't have those bad habits either that uh, that kids who are playing at, you know, six years old develop over, you know, what, 12 years of football before they get to college if they play every year. Um, you know, they don't have, he doesn't have some of those bad habits either. So there's definitely a push pull with, uh, no pun intended there. There's definitely a push pull with, with a kid who's so green, um, like canoe, but uh, again, physically, which is obviously very important in the trenches physically, he's ready to go. Um, so all that other stuff, uh, could, could be developed, uh, at Ohio state. And like you said, I mean, Larry's reputation speaks for itself, um, but on the interior, you, you need guys who can rush the passer as well. And, and I think that's where his value really comes in at a, at a much higher clip. Definitely. And lastly, the Buckeyes landed a commitment from Hawkins in the middle of the Rose Bowl. So I think his pledge was a little bit overshadowed just because there was just, you know, a lot going on in that moment. So I don't know that he necessarily has gotten kind of an evaluation from people. So as somebody who pays attention to Florida a lot, what kind of player do you think that Ohio State is getting in him? He is a, another one of these two-way bulldog types in the state of Florida. I've I've seen Cedric work out at receiver. I've seen him work out at defensive back. He's got great length. And, man, this, this kid's natural instincts when the football is in the air are really good. Like, he's one of those that when he plays receiver, you think he's 6'2". And then you go up to him and you're like, oh, he's a little bit shorter than that. But that's okay because he's got this length and this – attacking mentality when the ball's in the air that he's making plays like a bigger wide receiver um so obviously if the projection is in the secondary that translates so much with his length i could see him as a nickel type um you know ohio state had an elite db class uh, the last couple of years really um and they've brought in great nickel types who have great length and aggression both at the line of scrimmage and when the ball's in the air there at the catch point. Hawkins can do all of those things. Again, the receiver experience is special here. I think he could play on the offensive side of the ball as at Ohio State, even with the type of receivers that they've been bringing in. He could be a counter type to some of those. He's probably a little bit more of a slot uh, because of, of, of his frame. But I, I think he's probably got a higher ceiling on defense with some of those receiver traits translating. He's a competitive kid. Um, he's one of those that even in like seven on seven, when you go watch him and I'll see him a bunch here in the next few months, because that's all cranking up again very quickly. You know, he's one of those kids that never comes off the field um, and it's hot down here, <laughs> you know, all year. Right. So, you know, it's it's 90 degrees and this kid's playing 100 plays, talking crap and making plays on both sides of the ball. So there's a lot to like there. Coco, for those who don't know, Coco High School is a big deal in the state of Florida, a perennial state finalist. 
runner-up type school. Um, it, they play a competitive schedule both regionally and outside the region. They'll, they'll go down to Miami and play schools. They'll go out of state and play big-time schools. So uh, kind of like we talked about with Abor, I mean, he's playing elite competition uh, week in, week out. Uh, and I think that creates some of that, that competitiveness that, that Hawkins plays with. So I, I like this get. Um, he, think, of, think of Kai Stokes from the 22 class, but more polished as a DB. Kai is kind of like a raw center fielder out there who's just reacting uh, with less polish. Hawkins has more polish right now than Kai does on the defensive side of the ball, even though he's a year younger. Uh, so I, I think that's, if you start thinking about where he might play, that nickel safety type role starts to make a lot of sense. Um, but I'm curious to see how he fills out. I hadn't seen him in a few months. So curious to see him back on, on, on the circuit this offseason. And, and we know he'll be making plays again on both sides of the ball. That, that the ball skill trait is becoming number one with secondary projections. You know, we, when I got in this business, we talked about hips, footwork, quickness, top end speed. Those are the first things we talked about with, with DBs. Now it's ball skills, length, instincts, you know, it's totally changed at that position because you're going to give up yardage, right? We used to try to project that guy who wasn't even going to give up a slant. Now it's like, look, you're going to give up some stuff, but you're probably going to play a lot more zone coverage. Can you play the football? Can you flip your hips and react uh, to, to crossing patterns and, and different things in front of your face? And, and Hawkins is one of these guys that, that fits that better now than he did maybe, you know, 10 years ago, 10 years ago, he's probably a receiver at the next level. So I think the the transition of, of the game itself uh, is helping him have a bit of a higher ceiling as well. But you can't you can't say uh, bad things about a competitor who, who plays both ways, who can attack the football. If that's the starting point, you're in a pretty good spot. I'm glad you mentioned Kai Stokes as well, just because, you know, last year he kind of committed out of the blue. I know he got a, an offer and then committed a week later. But then on the other hand, there was Jaheim Singletary, who is somebody who committed relatively quickly as well once Ohio State got involved. And then obviously, yeah, I think he was New Year's Day last year, right? I think it was uh, the day Something after like the Super Bowl. Um, so it would have been January 2nd. Okay. You know, obviously he ended up at Georgia, whereas Kai Stokes ended up sticking with his Ohio State commitment. And any Florida recruitment really seems to be something that, you know, you're kind of worried about throughout. Which one would you say this is more like with Hawkins? Is it more of a Singletary, you know, have to hold on to him throughout? Or is this a, a Kai Stokes where he's not going to visit anywhere else? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to, to imagine a, a 2023 recruit not making any more visits when he will be coveted, right? Um, I, I would imagine he, he probably takes some trips. I mean, look, there's a new staff at Miami and Florida, right? So, so two of the big three schools within state lines have brand new coaching staffs that are going to recruit well. Um, so I, I think, you know, the, the, the hope and look, it's 2022, right? I mean, kids, kids have the freedom to do what they need to do. Um, so to think, but to think he's never going to take another visit, I think would be, would be tough. I do think he'll consider it. Um, uh, but I don't know if it's going to be as dramatic maybe as a Jaheim Singletary. Um, I, I think maybe, maybe Ryan Turner's a better, uh, a better guy to throw if we're talking Florida DBs better guy to throw at him in terms of not only his skill set but in terms of his recruitment like Turner was considering other schools he was in communication with several kind of down the stretch 
I don't know if he took an actual visit late, but early on he was, you know, he was making the rounds. Actually, the last time I saw him uh, in a non-game setting was at, at UCF for, for an event. So um, I think more like that, where it's kind of quiet and, and to himself a little bit, as opposed to maybe out there. And, and look, that comes with the territory of, of Singletary being so highly rated, right? I mean, he's, he was the number two corner for us in the preseason rankings. I mean, he's a kid who, who picked up offers since his freshman year. Hawkins isn't quite that, so I do think it'll be a little bit less dramatic, which I'm sure Buckeye fans would uh, appreciate. It's definitely more in that middle ground then, you know, not the yeah, not to sure. worry about him the whole time, but this isn't just a sure thing. So yeah, I think I think Turner is definitely a good a good comparison there. I appreciate you taking the time to join me today, John. We'll have to do it again soon. Yes, sir, man. Yeah, I know it was uh, tough to schedule with my craziness going on, but uh, yeah, excited, excited to see. Uh, the rest of these Buckeyes uh, this offseason. So we'll definitely be uh, sending you some updates over at uh, Buckeyes now. For sure. For SIL American Director of Recruiting, John Garcia, I'm Andrew Lind. We appreciate you listening as always and hope you'll join us next time.